But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> Have you seen this video? Uh, Jeb, you, uh, I mentioned this video to you this morning, and you had a, uh, a, a choice. <laughs> you, you had a instant analysis about this pilot. So uh, before we come back to your instant analysis, uh, David, have you seen this video of the uh, aircraft trying to take off from the beach? A few minutes before you rang me up, uh-huh. uh, and I'm playing it again right now with the sound off. Now, what what is Go this ahead. aircraft? What type and model is it? Uh, it's a Jabiru. You think it's a Jabiru? Yeah, I think it is. Okay, so it's a it's a high wing, you know, kind of smallish LSA size. It's anyways, an, either an LSA or experimental amateur. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, depending uh, on which part of the Jabiru family it came from, and I was as I was looking at it the first time, mm-hmm. my brain kept going right runner, yeah. right runner. Well, that's so. This guy's on a beach, um, uh, and and not the smoothest of of sandy beaches, but a, a beach, and a crowd of people behind him, and he seems to be lined up, you know, sort of like along the edge, just above the water line, above the uh, the, the high water, you know, wave line. And uh, and he adds power, uh, and uh, uh, apparently, obviously, with the intent of taking off, and and I think his his goal was to stay just above the the wet line of the waves, but he failed at that, and uh, and he oh, he drifted down as as Dave alludes, he drifted to the left, and his left main got into the uh, into the actual way of the water um and probably not and and that add and, and now i'm speculating that added a lot of drag um to the wheel to the to that to that left oh, no, you're main it exactly right dude. yeah I mean, between the between the water and the softer sand in that point all right it added a lot of drag the aircraft tried to veer to the left as Dave said, you know, it probably wasn't enough right rudder in the world. I think at this point, all right, to <laughs> to, uh, to keep, keep him from turning continuously to the left, which he did. And, and our, our apologies to the Jabiru people if indeed that's not what this is. But it's a small high wing aircraft, and it. Uh, I guess that would count as a sudden stop on the yeah. engine. Yeah. Well, he eventually got all three wheels into the water, um, and then it just sudden, suddenly came to a stop. And nosed forward, and uh, and and actually tipped up, and didn't go over, but uh, definitely got into an unusual attitude. And uh, well, he another... got into softer sand under the water, and the nose wheel dug in, and that was the end of it. Yeah, Jeb, there's, you were saying there's something? another there's another video out there on the internet from a different vantage point. Oh, really? That basically show is kind of a profile view as opposed to a head-on view, um, and. Um, it basically shows the same sequence of events, of course, uh, but you can't really tell, you know, how close to the water he started out and and uh, how close he got and all that kind of thing. It's interesting. I'm looking at this again. His nose wheel was off the ground uh, as the as the left main entered the water, so I he was close to liftoff. Yeah, I see that yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh... but um, yeah, it's you know a right rudder problem. Um, Pilot operator, you know, uh, 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 operator issues, and there's all kinds of things going on there. But uh, uh, yeah, there's sudden stoppage, and um, you see the wing flex when uh, when it comes to rest. Yeah, flex in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good thing. So. Yeah, it it, it uh, as it nosed over and kind of came uh, uh, to 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 rest on a on a three point position, but one of those was not the, all. All three of those points were not wheels. Um, 
and uh, you actually see the the right and you actually you see the when it comes to a stop you see the right wing kind of bend backwards you mm-hmm. know, in in a way that i've never seen wing spars intentionally bend yeah um and and it actually touched the 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 left wing tip hit the water during during mm-hmm. all the excitement and i saw it flex in a, in a similar way too so uh and uh, the engine came to a sudden stop so um this poor airplane is uh, needs some something now well that that was a lake as opposed to a, a saltwater beach is it right? well, uh, i don't i don't know i'm asking i i don't know that either um it's described as new zealand a, a new zealand beach but that could could be a freshwater um let's see if there's any information here uh well in this particular case a beach is a beach is a beach i mean if it is a freshwater uh body and it it does eliminate one issue that would you know carry over from this incident, and that's the damage salt water can do to metal components on an airplane. Uh, water alone can still cause things to rust, but at least right. it wouldn't be saline laden and require a whole bunch of flushing and draining and right. Uh, uh, you know, dude. Uh, not 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 enough right rudder early on yeah the uh, the description uh that's that comes with the or the first video that we looked the one that i pointed you to originally describes and again this is a description by whoever posted the video so take it with a grain of salt but it says uh, a light plane and this apparently was a takeoff after an emergency landing is what this right, says a light right. plane that made a successful emergency landing on an Auckland beach crashed when it tried to take off again no one was hurt when the six cylinder 120 horsepower jabiru landed on Martin's Bay beach on Maharangi I think Maharangi okay Maharangi peninsula near Warkworth about 11:30 a.m. today. Uh, this is according January 10th is what they're saying. So, uh, pilot uh, Dennis Horn uh, was, said he was flying from Ardmore to uh, what? Oh, God bless the New Zealand. <laughs> when Jerry, something like that. Uh, uh, my apologies to all my New Zealand friends, and I do have a couple, um, but these are just two interesting names for me to be able to pronounce them. When the plane's new engine cut out about five kilometers off Martins Bay, uh, he managed to land on the empty south end of the beach. Let's see if there's anything else interesting. There's a long description this guy's got here. Or maybe It almost has the look of a cut and paste from a newspaper story. Uh, well, we're we're sorry for your plight, dude. So I guess uh, it's also an off-field landing of the week. I guess, you know, it's, it's off-field takeoff of the week. <laughs> off-field take well, off-field takeoff attempt of the week. It uh, it didn't quite work. Um, if this is a Jabiru, uh, the airplane Jabiru as opposed to the engine Jabiru, um, is that does that make it an LSA? I'm just kind of curious. Uh, it, it's in Austra- It's in New Zealand, so the rules are yeah, different. Yeah, right? I don't know what the rules are. Yeah, I, I guess in, that's... In, in, in in New Zealand, Australia. So kind it of might a... be a micro light. It might be you know. It might be a certificated airplane. I don't know. Yeah. So, it's, so uh, one of our listeners surely will chime. Yeah. Well, someone will fill us in on this. And, uh, and well, and Jabiru also makes the airframes uh, that some of their engines go into. So right. 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 You know the, that that hundred and twenty horse six cylinder. Uh, engine they make. That's a that's a stellar, that's a stellar motor. Mm, Uh, The Jabru engine. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so bloody smooth. It's almost turbine like. 
Amy has a Jabiru brand engine in her kit fox. I don't know if it's that size. It's she's got the four cylinder. Oh, yeah. she's four cylinder. Okay. And and she raves about it. Uh, yeah. She has spoken highly of that Jabiru engine a number of different times. She likes it a lot in her kit fox. Well, I've flown them in uh, a couple of Zenith airplanes, uh, and, and was just really impressed with them every time. Um, just nothing to dislike. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't recall having flown one, but I certainly may well have. Um, there you go. Yeah. Well, we'll look into it. Uh, <laughs> it uh, the, actually, for me later today, and for Jeb and I tomorrow, uh, and uh, later in the week, we can actually ask around and figure out what kind of airplane this is. But before I explain that, let me say welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you today from the uh, the Hidden somewhere, River, somewhere near Sarasota, somewhere Florida. near Sarasota, Florida, the Hidden River home for wayward aviators. Uh, Would that be the Hidden River Studios? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> right. where I've uh, I've uh, arrived for my annual visit, uh, uh, and uh, thank you, Jeb, for having me back down again. And. Uh, it's uh, it's see now this is a classic situation. All right, it's like I'm sitting here going, man, it's beautiful. It's like 65 degrees and uh, it's just wonderful. And the Florida folks are all going, it's 65 degrees. It's freezing cold. Fucking cold, man. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, I don't. You know, I'm sorry you guys are unhappy about it, but I'm not unhappy at all. It's very, well, very nice. This is your annual. Uh, pre-spring thaw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, you know, and and as fate would have it, it's actually uh, unseasonably nice back up at Lookout Point. Uh, of these, course, these few days. So, uh, um, but but again, you know, even unseasonably nice makes it like you know a high of forty-five. So uh, I'll take sixty-five in a heartbeat, no question about it. Hey, I'm here talking to my two good friends. Uh, and uh, first of all, let me let me do this in the, in the proper order. Um, so one of my good friends here is uh, Dave Higdon who's talking to us from somewhere near Wichita, uh, Kansas. So, David, last week, when, uh, when we did the episode last time, you did something that you used to do in the old days all the time, because I used to always, I used to introduce myself last, and I was always forgetting to introduce myself. And you got into the habit of kind of like trying to, you know, you know, across the telephone lines, give me a little yeah, poke in yeah. the side. And, and you did that, all right? And I said, no, Dave, I already introduced, I introduced myself first now, exactly for that reason, all right? In the process... I managed to forget to introduce you last week, so um, so my apologies for that. But uh, uh, you know, so I wanted to make sure I got it in this time. So uh, uh, hi, David. That's how right. are you doing? I was, I was wearing my name badge, so I knew who I was. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, uh, doing good. We uh, we're having a uh, an unseasonably warm stretch here. Saturday and Sunday were so nice. We uh, drug out the motorcycle and visited Dead Cow and watched some helicopter training. And then that was Saturday and Sunday. It was even nicer. So we even got the bride out on her little Italian scooter. And we motored around town for about an hour and a half to the point where she stopped next to me at one point and says, Hey, I've got a low fuel light. It works. <laughs> it's first time ever, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know that was, and that was just before I uh, departed from uh, from New Hampshire, and we had the similar kind of thing. Must have been the same air mass or something, because uh, there were a couple of days in there where it was just crazy warm. Um, and not only were the motorcycles out, I saw people on bicycles out, out in New Hampshire in uh, you know January, which is oh just- yeah, Saturday and Sunday here was like uh, seeing people out in shorts and uh, the disc golf course. In the parks next door and across across the street, they were they were just swamped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you couldn't shoehorn a motorcycle into the parking area for a while. Yeah, but, hmm. uh, 
a lot of people out in their little airplanes too. We 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 hope to catch a ride on Saturday uh, on Saturday, but just too many people doing touch and goes and more go than touch. Yep, yep. And uh, I don't know for balance. Should I forget to introduce Jeb this morning? No, I won't do that. Nah, no. <laughs> also, he, he's sitting close enough to you to whack you upside. Well, yeah, actually, well, whatever, whatever blows your skirt up. Just remember, I control the the heat and the air conditioning. <laughs> That's and, right, and all kinds of uh, of other things for your, for the next it's few days. All right. So. Well, then, I'll, then I will say uh, hello to my other good friend, Jeb Burnside, who is also talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing this morning, Jeb? I'm, f- doing, I'm doing well. Thank you're you. freezing cold. Well, my feet are calm. I'm wearing sweatpants. You're wearing shorts. I'm wearing sweats. Yep. Um, and my feet are a little nippy, but uh, uh, we'll get through this. Uh-huh. It's, it's uh, 59 degrees outside, according to the... Uh, uh, the horror. Uh, I know. I know. Um, it's... Um, I, Getting close to standard atmosphere here, so yeah, it was a little rainy here yesterday. But it's uh, it's nice. It's a little. It's, I wouldn't it's, call it overcast, but it's it's like, a high overcast. They're advertising rain for later in the day. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So um, before we talk about the uh, the number one subject of this episode, uh, one other story I want to just kind of do a follow up on. We talked last episode. I believe it was last episode. We talked about the uh, Cherokee 180 that did a forced landing on the highway uh, near New, or in New York City. Um, and uh, and when we were talking about it before, we had a bunch of questions about things like you know the nature of the flight and the qualifications of the pilot, and um, and there's a follow up story on this. Jeb, you called our attention to it. What what's what are the details we've learned about this uh, this forced landing? Well, the, the the main detail is it appears uh, in in hindsight and with additional detail that um, uh, the pilot apparently did a lot of things right. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, the story is in uh, USA Today, and uh, I guess it statelined uh, yesterday. Um, but the, there was an interview with one of the passengers, um, and uh, commented, you know, hey, I'm, I was freaking out because we were losing altitude. And okay, yeah, sure, that makes perfect sense. Um, but um, uh, one of the questions that we had had about the pilot. Uh, there was conflicting information, uh, which is not abnormal for mm-hmm. uh, events like this. Whether or not, it, the information conflicted as to whether or not the guy was either a student pilot or had, had recently earned his private ticket. And this story confirms that, in fact, he was recently certificated as a private pilot. Yep. Um, so that's, you know, that's check that box off. Um, um, the other thing is that, uh, according to this article, and apparently according to the uh, NTSB preliminary report on which it is based that uh, uh, there was plenty of fuel on board. Uh, there was just something mechanical that went wrong with the airplane. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, based on the outcomes, based on uh, this this updated story, uh, etc., that uh, he he did everything right. He got the airplane down. Everybody walked away. Um, nothing wrong with this. No, not at all. Um, another thing I found interesting about the story is uh, apparently, at least for a few moments after the engine started losing power, his passenger, at least one of his passengers, started to get a little unruly, like emotional. And, uh, I mean, you know, it's not bad enough you're in an airplane where the engine's quitting. That'll freak you out, too. Right. So this pilot, you know, seemed to really keep his wits about him. And, uh, yeah. You know, the, the, the gold, the, the, the nugget paragraph here is is the, the woman being interviewed says, and according to the story, says, Quote, I was freaking out because we were losing elevation and out over the water, and it was so cold, said Terrell, who was flying with passenger Monica Castillo 
1966 Piper piloted by Michael Schwartz, an accountant from South Salem who just earned his pilot's license. Quote, Monica turned around and told me to be quiet because we didn't want to scare the pilot, unquote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. which, which is good. I know. Uh, um, yeah. uh, hats off to Monica. And, uh, um, um, and, he didn't uh, have time to be scared anyway, but it's good to reduce the cockpit confusion. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was apparently, I, I, I'm guessing that this is all part of that VFR uh, procedure that you use when you fly uh, around uh, New York City. Uh, right. So they had gone and done the sightseeing thing around the uh, the uh, Statue of Liberty, mm-hmm. and uh, and they were getting ready to return from that. It sounds like they were actually flying back up the Hudson River yeah. uh, when this all started to happen. Um, and he was in communication. According to the story, he was talking to LaGuardia Tower at the time. Oh, that's their airspace. Yeah. So uh, he was in contact as it happened and was talking to them. And according to the passenger who was telling the story, um, he was consulting with LaGuardia for options. And so, I mean, you know, just an ideal, I mean, other than the place, which is not where I'd want to be if I had to do a forced <laughs> landing, all right, um, and, you know, all, all, everything kind of played out ideally. You know, he was in communication and, uh, and he was able to make maintained the control of the airplane and he was able to manage his cockpit you know in spite of the, the uh, you know the the looming and, craziness and uh, you know and mr schwartz only received his pilot certificate on november 29 this happened on january 4 yeah two months uh, in, huh? uh barely a month i mean yeah, yeah. uh November 29, December 29, that's a month, four more days, five more days. It's like, way to go, dude. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you should buy, you should go out and buy your primary flight instructor dinner. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, or, yeah. or, 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 you know, libation of choice, whatever. Um, the, the, the last, next to last uh, paragraph in the story quotes this, this woman who was the passenger says, quote, he knew what he was doing. He was very calm the whole time, and he did a great job. And uh, that's that's all we would any of us would want to hope for from any passenger in, in a similar situation. Yep, yep. Sounds the, like uh, you could hear you can hear the calm in his voice too in the. Uh, oh, there's audio. The, I didn't hear that. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a, at the top of the USA Today story. There was a video, uh, which was nothing but still pictures with the uh, live ATC track uh, playing. In the let's hear it for Dave. Our buddy, the other Dave, Dave P, Dave uh, of LiveATC.net. Exactly. Once again, they are listening. It's like the NSA and Dave Pasco. They're all listening. Um, so, well, that's cool. That's cool. So, anyways, that's that's just sort of a follow up on that story. Um, you know, and and credit where credit is due. And this is a very very small thing in perspective. All right, but this follow up story that you were referring to, Jeb, I believe was USA Today. Right. Um, and and I do give them a little bit of props for the fact that um, a lot of the alarmist language was gone from this this story. I don't recall what the first story was like, but um, uh, there was little or no reference to it being a crash. They referred to it as being a hard landing, and um, you know, which is not not always the case when the mainstream media talks about these kinds of things. Actually, the worst part of the first story was some of the snarky comments by other pilots. Uh, that appeared right. below the story. Oh, in the comments, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Monday morning quarterbacking what this guy d- did, and there was a misperception that he was a student pilot, and a couple of guys went on a rant about, well, you know, that's what w- was wrong: a student pilot carrying passengers. 
I, you know, I never thought of that. That freaking engine knew he was flying illegally and shut down on him. Yeah. What? And it, and it turns out, of course, that was not at all the case. So Not anyways. at all the case. Yeah. So, you know, as we said when we talked about this uh, last, uh, we try not to Monday morning quarterback pilots' choices in emergencies, particularly when everybody walks away. Yep. So, way to go, Mr. Schwartz. We don't have to be lost in space. I can fly the Jupiter 2 and get us back home to Earth. Warning, 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 warning. Silence, you belligerent bucket of bolts. Dr. Smith, you must not take the controls until you have received a safety briefing. Oh, all right then, go ahead. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Silence, you cantankerous clump of cogs. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the spacecraft, uh, airplane. Are you that finished? Is all. What did you that say? That is all. Then yes, shut I up that finished. silly speaker. Oh, where is Jack Hodgson when you need him? You may proceed. All right, then. Here we go. Danger, 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 danger. So one of the reasons I'm down here in Florida is uh, to attend the uh, Sebring, uh, the USA Sport Aviation. Oh, I can never get the name of this thing right. What's it called? The Sport Aviation Expo. United States Sport Aviation Expo. Yes, over at Sebring Airport, um, which begins, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. It begins uh, tomorrow is the uh, day one. And uh, I'm actually headed over there this afternoon to uh, touch base with our pal Dave Shellbetter uh, and do a little bit of business. And then I will be returning. I think, Jeb, you're coming as well. We're going to both go over tomorrow and spend right, the day. Right, tomorrow. Yeah, I'm not going tomorrow. over today, but yeah. And uh, and then the current plan is to return on Saturday and uh, um, when we're having our meetup. So uh, uh, talk about more about that in a second here. But uh, let's talk a little bit about what we might uh, expect from this year's uh, Sport Aviation Expo. Um, what, first of all, let's just talk about LSA and sport aviation in general. Um, and I'm not sure which of you. I, I, my guess would be that Dave follows this more closely than Jeb. Dave, is there anything you can tell us about, you know, kind of how LSA sales are doing these days? Is is that business faring well? Uh, that's a double-edged answer. Uh, overall, uh, it is not a huge success in terms of aircraft sales, unless you're one of the three or four companies that have the most popular selling models like uh, uh, Flight Design and the CT. Uh, they, they've done a marvelous job with their business model. They've got dealers, distributors out there, maintenance operations. Uh, they sell everything they bring in the country. Uh, most of the, what, 120-odd different designs now approved under the consensus standards and we're coming up we're we're, we're at the nine-year-old point here mm-hmm. uh, uh the rule was approved in the fall of 2004 and the first actual aircraft approved were uh in, in april of 2005 uh so we're within a year of the 10th anniversary of this and uh for most of the designs out there uh, the sales are a trickle some mm-hmm. of them don't sell at all. Right. Uh, some of them don't no longer have networks supporting them here in the states. Uh, but 
It's been fairly steady the last uh, two or three years, uh, somewhere north of uh, 300 uh, units a year sold. Uh, I've heard of years where it's gotten close to 400. Uh, hey, that's 400 airplanes that we wouldn't have seen sold without the LSA category. That's one metric. The right. other metric is what the impact of the sport pilot privileges have been on the pilot population. Yeah, tell me about that. What do you think? Well, that's been a little less... That's been a little less uh, successful than I know the proponents hoped. And part of the issue has been just spooling up something brand new like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, uh, the FAA did some damage to this, uh, I, I think inadvertently, uh, but damage nonetheless, when they ruled uh, that the 20 hours of uh, flight instruction you have to receive to become a sport pilot cannot be applied forward to your private pilot's license, meaning that you start from scratch for no discernible reason because the first 10 hours of dual and the 10 hours of uh, solo pretty much align perfectly with what's in the private pilot uh, syllabus and the practical test standard. I thought we so resolved just, that. I thought we settled that. Maybe they did, and I missed it. That's completely possible. Yeah. But the other thing was that a lot of flight schools who weren't really vested in light sport in the first few years, actively discouraged people who came in and wanted to talk about it and tried to steer them toward the private pilot track. Really? Uh, And for some of these guys, it it backfired. Instead of getting a new student on the private pilot track, track, they got nothing because the person was like, that's not what I'm interested in, that's not what I want to do, and they turned around and left. The third metric I think that's worth examining here is how many people the sport pilot privileges have allowed to keep flying after right. no longer renewing their medical certificate. Right. That was that was what I was going to point to is is the you know you talk about sport pilots flying LSA you know sport people pursuing a sport pilot certificate, um, but the other combination here is people with a private pilot certificate choosing to fly LSA, fly as par- if they were a sport pilot. Right, and there's a parallel uh, in the number of old airplanes that are suddenly getting more use and are more popular and have seen their value edge up a little bit because they are light sport compatible. That is, they meet the rules, even though they might have been built in 1937 or 43 or 52 or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, that their their gross weight's no higher than 1,320 pounds. Their top speed's no faster than 120 knots. They have no more than two seats uh, and meet the uh, fuel qualifications that uh, come under the uh, light sport standards. And uh, that's been fairly good. Uh, and I know about a dozen guys in their 40s to 70s who are actively flying uh, because they can fly on sport pilot privileges. And exercising your private pilot license under sport pilot guidelines does not free you from the requirement for biennials. Uh, it does not re- re- free you from any of the currency requirements that we, uh, we're subject to, like you know three takeoffs and landings in 90 days, so forth. Uh, it does limit you to day VFR, even if you had a private pilot certificate. Flying on sport pilot means daytime only. Uh, but uh, I've been surprised how many guys that kind of turned up their nose at the idea uh, 
uh, back in 05, 06, who in the last couple of years have confided in me that they wouldn't be flying at all now if, uh, if uh, they hadn't go out to get a biennial, which you can do without a medical certificate to begin with. And had the instructor say, okay, you, you want to fly light sport, let's sign you off for that, and we'll sign you off as eligible for this. Uh, like, oh, they didn't know they could do that. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they're, they're back actively flying the Aronka. The, the they're back actively flying uh, the Taylor Craft or the Air Coupe uh, or the J3 that they used to you know, borrow from a friend. Yeah, Champ, right? Oh, Champ, uh, the Aronka Champ, the Aronka Chief, both qualify. Yeah, as uh, well as all, they haven't been through an STC that raised their gross weight above thirteen twenty. Right, as well as all of the uh, LSA manufactured aircraft. Are. As well as all the LSA manufactured. Yeah. yeah, there's a fairly significant list of what uh, has come to be called legacy LSAs. Right, right. Uh, no. So, I think it's a mixed bag. Uh, I think it's going to get better. Uh, more flight schools now, uh, including a couple around here, have light sport aircraft on their flight line and are actively, you know, teaching students on the light sport track. Uh, and since these are generally certified flight instructors, they can count that toward their private pilot certificate later. If they'd been a sport pilot instructor only, that's where the rub came in in the past. Right, and right. If that's changed, I missed it, but I didn't think that particular element had changed yet. Sure. And one of the arguments that stunned me was out of a very well-known, regularly published, big-name flight instructor expert who opined that you couldn't apply light sport to private pilot because, well, they don't get any night training. They don't get any hood training, which is not true. Uh, you know, they don't do this. They don't do that. That's under private pilot syllabus. Well, none of that's in the first ten hours of private pilot syllabus anyway. Yeah, right, right. And light sport can't fly night anyway. So not having night training, not having the required minimum to be, you know, night qualified. So freaking what? Yeah. Uh, it it really smelled a lot like. Uh, not invented here, not not my kind of thing, so I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fading away now as more and more businesses see that there are opportunities here. Even if all you do is put a, a champ or a chief on the flight line, you can teach somebody the light sport track. You don't have to go out and buy a CT. You don't have to buy a Jabiru. You can do that with one of the LSAs that is quote-unquote legacy. So, uh I think it's done some good. I think it stands to do a lot more as time goes by. I don't see this revolutionizing general aviation to the point where we reverse the pilot attrition that is, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, our number one problem. Not airport access, not airports, but how many of us there are. Right. Before we move, I, I do have a question regarding the kind of future of, uh, of LSA and Sport Pilot. But before I move on to that, uh, let, me, let me go back and give Jeb a chance to jump in here. Um, I, I know it's not really your, your turf, but uh, any thoughts on the state of the LSA or the Sport Aviation, the Sport Pilot world? Not, not really. Uh, a couple of thoughts. One, um, while, while we were talking about this, I did a little bit of Googling and, and um, uh, looking at some AOPA information. Interestingly enough, Wikipedia 
has a, a page devoted to, quote, pilot certification in the United States, unquote. And um, some of this data is dated, and that's not Wikipedia's fault or AOPA's fault. It's it's responsibility of the FAA to update this data. And according to this Wikipedia page, uh, at the end of 2011, so we're looking at three years ago, or I'm sorry, two years ago, um, there were 4,066 sport pilots um, in the United States. And that means... Um, that's the highest certification attained by those individuals, 4,066 at the end of 2011. According to AOPA, mm-hmm. that number was, uh, for sport pilots, again, 3,682, 3,682 at the end of 2010. So okay. over, over that two-year, uh, over that, I guess, one-year period, actually, approximately a 10% greater number of sport pilots uh, obtain their certification, which is not an insignificant number. Yeah, no, assuming those numbers are right, that's not bad. I agree. That's not, yeah. that's not too shabby. Yeah. Um, now, we don't know, um, in part because of, of the, um, the um, latency of the data involved here, we don't know anything about what those current numbers are. Right. We don't know anything about are those individuals – flying light sport aircraft exclusively, are they flying legacy LSAs uh, or some mix thereof? That's important from the standpoint of determining the market for new LSA airframes. Okay. Um, All of that having been said, um, it still remains a vibrant market. There's still new aircraft being uh, um, brought to the market. Yeah. Pretty yeah, much no, it, every every week. I mean, we we see a press release. We see some coverage uh, uh, in uh, uh, in uh, the usual suspects uh, from the usual suspects, I should say, about new LSA aircraft. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you know, almost ten years on here, I think we have to declare this a success. Um, Although, what does it mean that early on Piper abandoned the uh, the segment, and and it appears that Cessna has pretty much abandoned the segment. I think that speaks less to the viability of the market, more to the economics of their business models. But I, that's I think just that's me. exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I mean, in Piper's case, they um, entered into an agreement with uh, a Czech, uh, Czechoslovakian manufacturer to rebrand an existing model. And that worked, as I recall, for a couple of years. Piper uh, has a whole different set of problems. Uh, in a macro sense, uh, yeah. than just the light sport market. So um, it's, and it, I think there were some some wholesale management changes at Piper along the way. Um, there's all kinds of different uh, things going on there. So the the cessation, if you will, of marketing um, a light sport aircraft under the Piper banner uh, speaks, I think, in this instance, more to Piper into the LSA market itself. Yeah. The same could be said for Cessna. They're highly celebrated and highly uh, 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 <laughs> uh, distributed uh, remarks by um, uh, a Cessna executive or, or Textron executive, I forget which, uh, during the recent uh, NBAA show um, that the, the, um, the Cessna light sport, the Skycatcher, was a dead end. 
Yeah, uh, that was Scott Ernest, the head yeah, of Cessna. Right. Um, the guy who didn't see any point in learning about uh, learning to fly after he took over an airplane company. Right, Cons- right. Consider so the source. Oh, I didn't Again, know that part. Yeah, okay, so, so there's, a, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah and, all right. Uh, um, so that, all of that having been said, we could, I mean, those are kind of exceptions to the rule. And maybe for sake of, of analyzing the market, we, should even, we shouldn't even mention Cessna and Piper. Yeah, okay. Well, but, yeah, but let me ask this question. As Dave correctly noted, we should talk about uh, um, um, uh, flight design in the CT line. Exactly. And that's, we, that we was should what? talk about the Jabiru line. Okay. We should talk about, um, um, I don't know. Um, oh, Rams uh, is building them. Exactly. Vans is building them. Uh, very established kit companies have moved into this on a low level and are selling everything they make. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not making hundreds and hundreds a year, but they've got a steady production line going of an airplane that wouldn't be there if it wasn't for light sport. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious, and I do want to move on to talk more specifically about the Sport Expo, but I'm kind of, you know, you've got me thinking about this. If you know this, just to give me some context here, um, how many, uh, so it's generally accepted that the CTLS uh, uh, is, the, uh, is the best seller in the LSA area, I think. That's kind of generally accepted. Am I, am I right about that? By far and away. How many of those do they ship a year, do you think? Ballpark. Uh, they've been north of 200 a year here in the States for several years now. Okay. And for comparison purposes, how many, I don't know what, 172s get shipped a year? What's the number one GA kind of personal four-seater piston? Well, that would be the Cirrus SR-22 How many? I I stand corrected. About how many of those get shipped a year, do you think? They've been upwards. They've been back up above 300 in the last couple of years. So it's kind of not that far apart. No, it's not. Uh, another thing I think worth pointing out here, and, and, and Jeb kind of alluded to it too, uh, some of these airplanes haven't set the world on fire. Uh, and part of that's been because they're, some of them are pricey. I mean, there's no way around it. Uh, a uh, basic CT is going to come in at about 130 grand, But... That's a 1,100-mile airplane that cruises at 118 knots and burns three and a half gallons an hour. Uh, we'll carry two people and a good load of luggage. Uh, the only thing in the Part 23 category that you can get remotely close to that is going to be 172, and that's over 300,000 bucks for a 172 now. Right. So, you know, there's you need to do a little relativity work here. Uh, yes, yeah, some of them are expensive. So, uh, there are quite a number of LSAs that come in under a hundred grand, and a few that come in under ninety. And they're very capable, fun to fly airplanes. The Rand's S seven Courier is one of my favorites. Tailwheel tandem, good little bush plane. Crews about a hundred and ten. Uh, Doors on both sides and, a, and a, a nicely equipped one with lights so you can fly it at night if you're a private pilot. Uh, about 90 grand, 90 and change. And that's flyaway, guys. That's not put, unload the crates in the garage, wait six months, and fly it mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, well, well, you uh, know, one, once more, it never hurts to have data to discuss this. And while we're talking, I pulled up the the okay, FAA. If you insist, yeah, it never it never hurts to have data. Uh, while we're talking, I pulled up the uh, FAA uh, uh, aircraft registration database and uh, just 
put in flight design, one word as the uh, as a search term, and I'm looking at approximately uh, 200, I'm sorry, 350 uh, airframes uh, uh, manufactured by flight design, regist- currently registered in the U.S., I can't tell you the year, the year models or, or um, sales statistics or anything like that. So that's all time? That's, well, f- over less than 10 years. Right, Th- right. 350 airframes. You know, we can talk about is that a good thing or is that a bad thing. That's uh, approaching one a week new flight design airframe sales over that nine-something year period. Not shabby. I don't think that's too bad either. No, given no. given the overall economic straits in which we found ourselves uh, over this period of time, uh, and given you know this is really and truly a niche market. Now we we've talked in the past about um, okay, what are what are these? You know, who owns these airplanes? How are they being used? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I've kind of come to the conclusion, the supposition maybe is a better word, that many, majority of these aircraft are owned by a flight training organization and are used uh, for flight training, maybe on a leaseback, maybe owned by the, uh, owned by the flight training organization itself. Um, maybe the owner um, has uh, uh, you know, put it on a leaseback kind of thing and he or she also uses it, um, etc., uh, it's not really clear to me, you know, how many people have opted to buy a new LSA strictly for their own personal transportation or, or recreation, and I, we have no real way of, of knowing that at this stage. It would be an interesting question to ask uh, someone with that data, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and we, we might get that opportunity here over the next few days. Yeah. Um, so I. I Three hundred and fifty of one specific um, airframe design isn't too shabby for this market. No, not at all. So, as you alluded, tomorrow is the uh, opening day of the twenty fourteen uh, U.S. Sport Aviation Expo over at Sebring, and uh, Jeb and I will both be there. Uh, any any news on what we're expecting to see? The uh, Sport Aviation Expo website uh, shows a, a, a great list. I mean, they've got all sorts of uh, sub uh, products and aircraft and whatnot that uh, are being highlighted um, as as part of the expo. I'm just kind of zipping through their list here. Um, they've got publications. Uh, the uh, uh, talking about the new owner of the Sport Cruiser. The Sport Cruiser is the aircraft that was for a little while the Piper Sport. Am I correct? Right, about that? that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Okay. One of the aircraft uh, featured on the uh, featured as of now on the uh, Sebring U.S. Sport Aviation Expo's homepage is uh, an airplane that's kind of close to our hearts. The uh, CGS Hawk uh, is uh, highlighted here. Um, I, I, you know. Not your not your average everyday LSA um, in, in in terms of you know the design and the styling and that kind of thing. But no, and actually rather late to the party in terms of getting LSA uh, compliance approval. Yeah, which is ironic, given that given that it's one of the 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 oldest in a good way, the oldest of the of the ultralight world, right? Nineteen eighty two when yeah. it debuted at Sun and Bun. Yeah. So. Uh, um, 
Describe the CGS Hawk, and and we should we should uh, disclose that uh, the CGS Hawk was uh, was originally created by a, a dear friend of David's and someone who has become friendly uh, a friend, uh, not a friend exactly, but a a, a, a respected uh, acquaintance of mine, and I believe Jeb's. Absolutely. Um, oh, our old buddy Chuck Slusarjic. That's right. Uh, up last, in Cleveland. Yeah, Slusarjic, a name I love to say but would never ever attempt to spell. And, now, uh, Chuck's no longer affiliated with the company. That's health right. reasons, he sold off about three years ago. Yeah. Uh, and that was the last time I saw him at Sun and Fun was, uh, well, be four years this year. Uh, but obviously, sold it to just- an outfit down south. They went to the trouble to get the uh, compliance approval. And a CGS Hawk is basically an aluminum tube structure, uh, kind of an ultralight style design available tailwheel or trike high wing in the two seat version it's tandem uh dacron covered with uh good ribs and the wings for support uh a pusher prop and a curved fuselage boom behind it uh all designed by a a, a former nasa engineer mm-hmm. uh who even had to design the tool to bend the main fuselage tube into the shape correct for the design. Uh, been very successful as an ultralight and an experimental amateur built. Uh, it's got an enclosed cabin with zipper fabric doors that are clear. Uh, and it'll scoot right along on a 50 horsepower. It'll cruise at about 75. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the story here on the uh, Expo site uh, refers to it as being, um, let's see now, flies wonderfully, but what may be Hawk's best sales feature in these days of $130,000 LSAs is its low price. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the, the Hawk traditionally has always sold far, like below 100000 What do they go for these days? Do you know, David? Well, I'm hoping DJ gives that away when you read the full story yeah. uh yeah, it was the down full story around, is a video down right? around 60s uh oh, 60s really i was thinking 90s okay yeah no no far less than that and i don't remember i haven't looked at their site in a while but they may have uh made that also available as an elsa which means you can buy a, com- a compatible kit and uh put it together yourself uh but that's a nice picture some nice video of the hawk there on the on the uh, by Dan John, or from the by Dan Johnson website on the Expo website, uh, straight forward three axis simple airplane with flaps. Uh, not, n- nothing magic about it. It just flies really well as fifteen hundred flying would attest. Uh, and it won the best new ultralight design award at Sun and Fun in eighty two when it was introduced. So. Uh, it has legs, as they say. Yeah. Another aircraft uh, highlighted featured here on the Expo website is the uh, Cub Crafters Sport Cub, uh, which is kind of an interesting... Uh, no, wait, is that... Is this... No, wait a minute. Am I confusing this with a different airplane? Is this the one that's kind of got the big engine and can like climb like crazy but then only cruise at LSA speeds? Or am I thinking of a different airplane? Well, there's uh, the American Legend Cub. I think that's the one you're thinking of. There's the American Legend Cub, yeah, and then there's uh, another one, Cub Crafters. The sport. Oh, Cub Crafters is who does the real hot, the 180 horse LSA. Yeah, right, right. This, uh, is that the one that's called the Sport Cub, or is that a different model? I believe that's the Sport Cub. Yeah, so that's featured here. Um, 
But if you look at the two Cub designs, which are both in the top five, uh, they would be the biggest seller if you combine those numbers. Uh, about uh, 450 of them. Mm-hmm. Between the, the, the Cub Crafters, Carbon Cub SS, and other models, and American Legends Legend Cub. Uh, the old Piper design is more popular than ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just, just, you know, in the, in the scheme of, you know, more data always helps. Um, poking around here at the, the CGS Aviation uh, website, and uh, the, the two seat Hawk Arrow 2. Uh, in kit form, okay. Um, base base pr- kit price is eleven thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars. That includes uh, factory pre built wings and control surfaces. Wow! Does does not include covering. Okay, it's a fabric covered aircraft tube, steel tube, aluminum tube, uh, um, aircraft air, airframe. I should say fabric covering. The covering package is $3,300, okay? This does not include engines or instruments or, or options, but we're looking at um, fifteen five basically, plus shipping, plus tax, whatever, for a complete airframe, kit-built airframe, minus instruments, minus engine. That ain't too shabby. And looking at further at that same site, the Hawk Special LSA with a Rotax 582, uh, ready to fly, forty-seven nine ninety-five mm-hmm. with the HKS 700E, which would be my preference in this particular case. That's a horizontally opposed twin uh, right. that Tom Pagini brought into the country, forty-nine ninety-five, forty-nine nine ninety-five, and with the Rotax nine twelve. Fifty-seven nine ninety-five. So, mm-hmm. no matter how you roll it, less than sixty, or less than fifty. Mm-hmm. So, there's obviously stuff going on in the LSA segment, and that's very, very cool. Um, uh, we're going to learn more about this at the expo over the over the remainder of this week, the next four days. Um, and and as I alluded or mentioned outright earlier, uh, Jeb and I are going to be there. Our uncontrolled airspace is going to be there. Uh, we're going to be recording uh, daily episodes, our little patented uh, uh, 10, 15 minute episodes that kind of give a feeling for the uh, the atmosphere of the show and the the biggest stories of the show. Uh, and uh, we will, uh, in addition to our daily episodes being posted here on our regular feed, we're going to be working once again with our pal Dave Shellbetter uh, at Expo Radio. Uh, a lot of people know Dave Shellbetter um, as the head honcho of uh, Sun and Fun's radio operation, uh, and where we've also been involved. And a couple of years ago, uh, Dave uh, got involved with Expo and does a similar kind of radio operation over there. So if you are unable to attend uh, the Expo, either for the entire week or a few days, and want to stay up to date, you should check out the uh, Expo radio feed on the internet. You can uh, listen to that. I believe there's something there right now. If you go to, uh, it's all being uh, uh, streamed on the internet uh, by way of uh, our our friends that we were joking earlier, but uh, our great friends over at uh, liveatc.net. And uh, as I understand it, the uh, I don't know if they're running a tower yet, or if they're even gonna run a tower. But I believe that the CTAF is on is being streamed on liveatc.net right now. If you go to liveatc.net and search for, I believe the ID is uh, uh, SEFs uh, yes, Sierra that's, Echo Foxtrot. That's correct. And uh, you will uh, find 
probably more than one uh, stream coming from Sebring right now. Uh, you can listen to the uh, the CTAF, um, and eventually you'll be able to listen to the Expo there as well. And uh, you can you can keep an ear on on the Expo even if you're not there. And uh, uh, they're going to have a lot of great content. One small part of it is that they're going to be rebroadcasting our dailies throughout the week as well. So uh, um, that's a great way to stay in touch. Uh, the uh, there's a lot. Of, you know, we we touched uh, on a handful of LSA aircraft that uh, we're seeing on the Expo website. There's a lot more than we talked about. Um, there are just a you know you, you talk about whether or not the LSA uh, industry is 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 you know continuing, and it certainly is. There's a lot of airplanes uh, described and talked about here on this website, and of course the bydanjohnson.com website uh, is is always a, a great uh, source for information about. Uh, about small aircraft. Uh, yeah, Dan, Dan site's the go-to site for this. this absolutely this is. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're going to be there. We're going to be doing the dailies, which you'll be able to get through the feed and through Expo Radio. Um, also, if you're listening to this in time, uh, we're going to be having a UCAP meetup on Saturday morning during the Expo. I believe that's the 18th, but whatever Saturday morning of this week is. Uh, Jeb and I, unfortunately, Dave's not going to make it to town um, one of these days, but not quite yet. And uh, uh, But Jeb and I will be over there on Saturday morning uh, for a UCAP meetup. We're going to be gathering uh, um, at the... One, we've discovered that one of our favorite spots, uh, as much fun as it is to uh, to check out all the airplanes and all the exhibits, um, there's a really almost idyllic kind of nice spot to hang out. And that is on the... I, I, I think you agree with me on this, Jeb. Yeah. Um, yeah. The On the steps, on the ramp side of of the airport terminal building. Uh, so this is the building that's got a lot of it's got the restaurant and it's got some uh, offices and and you know the pilot lounge and things like that and you can and you don't have to uh, buy an admission to the expo to get ac- at least not in past years I hope I, I'm assuming this hasn't changed but you can park in the lot right there if there's some spaces um, and uh, walk in the uh, the park the car parking lot side of that terminal building you walk through that big lobby and then you can pop out the other side onto the steps. Um, and Jeb and I will be hanging out there uh, beginning around 11:30 on Saturday morning, and uh, we're we're you know if nothing else we're just going to be standing there chatting among ourselves and watching the airplanes fly by and taxi by, uh, but hopefully uh, some and, and we've heard from some listeners and some friends who are going to be uh, stopping by and and, uh, and joining us. So uh, we hope you will do that. Uh, and um, once we all get together on the steps there, we'll make a decision about whether we all want to maybe even move inside for a meal. But uh, we'll play that by ear. Well, something I want you guys to look for and, and, and give me a shout back at Sebring is uh, something called the Zigolo. I saw that. What's that all about? Zigolo? Zigolo. Z-I-G-O-L-O. Zulu, <clears throat> India, Golf, Oscar, Lima, Oscar. Yeah. This is a Part 103 compliant. Right. Single looks- seat, self-launching glider. Oh, it's a for glider. Under six, okay. For 16000 that's complete. Engine and everything with uh, already assembled, you take it out of the crate and put it together. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of it on uh, the Dan Johnson site right now. And uh, it's a, you know, I mean, this would be a minimalist for an ultralight. Um, for an LSA aircraft, this is definitely bare bones. Uh, no pun intended, because it's all, all, all mostly uh, uncovered uh, tubing. Where do you see that on Dan's site? On Dan's site, I see it on the, the second item on the homepage. I'm not sure whether that's been updated for you recently. And this is something to uh, oh, okay. to point sure. out while we're uh, talking about this. This company is also distributing the Mermaid here in the States, which will be at Sebring, I'm sure. That's an amphib, uh, really pretty little airplane. Uh-huh. 
But worth pointing out about the Part 103 airplanes, for those of, uh, of our listeners who never really checked into it or are familiar with it, there is no regulation of Part 103 flying except airspace, basically. The guideline says no more than 100, 254 pounds empty weight, no more than five gallons of fuel, single seat, and a 55-knot maximum speed. Inside that, you can do anything and everything as long as you stay out of the uh, restricted airspace or airspace that requires talking to ATC, unless you happen to put a radio on it, and then you can still go there. But no medical, no registration, no license required. Ding, 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 ding. Training is absolutely required for anything that operates in three dimensions. I don't care if it's a submarine or an ultralight or an airplane, but a $16,000 ready-to-fly aircraft that will soar, uh, I want to look this puppy up at Sun and Fun. Yeah, well, we'll we'll definitely report back on that for you, Dave. So uh, that's about it for today. Uh, Dave, we're really going to miss you, um, and uh, sorry you couldn't make it out here, um, if only because you're the master uh, uh, schmoozer. Um, you, you're, the, you're the guy who knows everybody. Anybody in particular you want us to say hello to while we're over there in Sebring? Oh, you know, any, anybody that doesn't throw something at you over my name uh, will be a friend. So uh, just say hi to Mr. Shawbetter. Uh You'll see DJ. Give him a big wet one for me. Uh, oh, Jiminy, who else? Uh, a list too long to go into, and I'd leave somebody out. So I, I fully expect that the uh, that the, the standard greeting is going to be, they're going to say hello to me, and the second thing they're going to say is, where's Dave? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll definitely say hi for you, and maybe we'll try and get you involved somehow, uh, some way. But uh, uh, in any event, that's about it for today. Um, as I mentioned, uh, you're probably going to see uh, new UCAP episodes for the, each day for the rest of this week. So if you're so inclined, keep an eye on your iTunes or whatever it is you use to grab up podcasts and uh, that little blue dot will probably turn blue um, daily hopefully knock on wood for the for the next few days in the meantime uh, thanks to my good friends uh, for joining me here this morning and uh, dave higdon is uh, an aviation photographer an aviation journalist and the u.s editor for london's world aircraft sales magazine david you've been working on anything fun uh, out in re- in the real world Latest thing in print is uh, from my friends Jeb and our, uh, my friends at uh, the Aircraft Electronics Association. They have two pieces in the January Avionics News. Uh, one called the In Crowd that looks at the explosion in uh, aftermarket ADSB in options available to work with your iPad or your panel mounted stuff. Move from airplane to airplane. Uh, if you have some interest in adding that capability, that wouldn't be a bad place to start. And I noticed my friends at World Aircraft Sales, uh, a long-time client of mine, are actually sponsors of Sebring. If you look on the website, you'll see a link on the right side that says avbuyer.com. That's where you can find me, www.avbuyer.com. That's the gateway to the World Aircraft Sales website. Uh, AEA.net for avionics news. Uh, once in a while, I luck out and get into aviation safety. And I have a couple of clients who, just as a matter of practice, don't put anybody's names on their stories. So we'd tell you, but then we'd have to come out and kill you all. And on the Twitter, you are uh, Real Higdon. Real Higdon. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Uh, what, what you've been working on, Jeb? Anything fun? 
Not a whole lot of anything. Um, my, uh, other than the magazine, which uh, other than the magazine, no. Um, my my projects uh, are in the can. Uh, I am working on uh, um, kind of loosely right now a project for Avionics News uh, magazine uh, regarding um, uh, refitting and repurposing um, a certain business jet for. Uh, uh, some maritime patrol and anti-submarine, um, 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 obviously military uh, use, uh, but I'm not quite ready to discuss that in, in, in greater detail right now. Okay. And where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, um, uh, uh, JebBurnside.com, uh, I believe it is, and, uh, of course, on the Facebook and the Twitter machines. On Twitter, I'm Burnside J. That's right. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, a new media producer, and these days a long-distance automobile driver. Uh, <laughs> long-distance voyager. That's right. You can check out my Kindle eBooks at Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, and uh, I'm very excited. Uh, the, uh, another thing that is uh, going to be happening at, at Sebring this year is I am int- formally introducing the new expanded around the field.net, uh, uh, where uh, I'm going to be doing, in addition to the writing that I've been doing over the years, we're introducing a podcast. And uh, we're going to be uh, a new episode of the Around the Field podcast will be out um, probably sometime during the day tomorrow. Uh, is a uh, part one of a three or four part interview I did with uh, with uh, Acro CFI extraordinaire Don Weaver, um, who was involved with uh, the uh, uh, Acro Camp, and uh, talked with Don Weaver a little bit a little while back, and uh, have pulled that together into a series of, of uh, I think very interesting uh, conversations with him. That's uh, uh, an episode of the Around the Field podcast, which you can uh, find out more about at AroundTheField.net, and eventually in iTunes. It hasn't quite made it up on into the index yet on iTunes, but. Uh, that's the Around the Field podcast. Uh, so you can find me uh, in addition to at aroundthefield.net. Uh, you can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com, uh, or you could follow me on twitter.com slash jackhodgson. As always, big, big thanks to Jeff Ward, who, by the way, is like doing something magical with uh, show notes. Uh, we've been, I've been putting them out pretty fast lately, all right, and he's just keeping up. He's got show notes posted like within 24 hours of us posting an episode. So uh, we really, really thank him for the help he's given us uh, in that area over the years, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to uh, as time goes on. As always, you can find our show notes at our main website at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, was there something you wanted to say? Live long through flying because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go to Sebring. TTFN. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right, all right. Listen, we got to do this thing for Dave. Dave? Dave who? Dave Schaubetter is doing Expo Radio again this year from Sebring at the Sport Aviation Expo. Oh, okay. Well, what do we want to say? We just want to say who we are, that we're Uncontrolled Airspace, the longest-running hangar-flying podcast, and that we're a proud sponsor of Expo Radio. Okay. Well, I'm Jeb. I'm Dave. So I guess that makes me Jack. And where can they find us on the Internet? At uncontrolledairspace.com. <laughs>